Hello and welcome to Double Decker Boss. We're back. We we are back after the hiatus. <laughs> um, today I'm joined by Sophie. Hi. Are you excited for the story? <laughs> it's a really yeah, insane well, one, mean, this one. All your previous ones have been pretty good, so I have no well, idea what to expect. Really. Well, the thing to expect, in fact, I need to put a bit of a disclaimer before this one. Um, this one is completely insane. This one's the most insane thing I've ever found out. I get the insane one. Yes, I'm throwing you in the deep end with this one. <laughs> <laughs> William Thomas Beckford was born on the 1st of October 1760 at 22 Soho Square in London. He was born into luxury. His father, William Beckford Sr., was from the white minority of Jamaica and owned a vast slave plantation there. So... Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's already started off and it's one, it's, I feel like it's going to be one of those stories where I'm, I'm just... I'll, I'll have no words to say. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, my gosh. Um, this... That isn't even... The insane thing, as insane as that is, that's nothing. That's just the beginning of this story. But it's horrible and sets the scene quite well. Um, to make matters worse for the society they lived in, William Beckford Sr., the man who owned the vast slave plantation, had twice been mayor of London, and he used his money to buy a vast estate in Wiltshire called the Fonthill Estate, and a house in London, the one which uh, William Thomas Beckford was born in. And uh, William's mother, Maria, was the daughter of a politician from Wells. Um, at the same time, though, they were not nobility, which at the time mattered a great deal in England, but would later go on to style themselves as the richest commoners in England. So they... We just love rich people. They're yeah, just... rich people yeah. are completely fine. They're completely together and they're not insane at all. This Why is going to be fine. Like... With what? every rich family, there's there's like a story that some terrible story behind it or they yeah, have some secrets it's completely fine rich people aren't insane at all rich people aren't the reason <laughs> the world has all of its problems at all having money doesn't yeah. make you mad it makes you completely fine <laughs> oh god right so to begin with um beckford was educated privately by a man named robert drysdale which is a lovely name for a teacher <laughs> Um, and but it gets worse, and a man named the Reverend John Lettuce. <laughs> that is a good name, makes it ten times better. They just have good names, yeah. He showed a great interest in literature, art, and reading, and a particular fascination with Arabic culture. But his time with Drysdale would end when, at the age of 10, his father died. And as William, and William, as his father's next of kin, inherited £1 million, worth today at £125 million, the two estates, one in Jamaica and one in Wiltshire, and a highly profitable sugar plantation with over 3,000 slaves. He was 10 years old. I mean, I'm not saying I want to be that 10-year-old because I don't want to be a slave trader, but I mean, having that much money would, you know, <laughs> got to be something. 
But can you imagine what that does to the mind of a 10-year-old? You're 10 years old and your father dies and then you, and as you're grieving over your father's death, you're then given £125 million, two estates and 3,000 people you own. I remember like getting 10p as a child and that being just the best thing in the whole world. <laughs> This yeah, this is something else. <laughs> oh my god, it's completely insane and so fucked up. It's so fucked up. Um, but it only it only goes downhill from here. <clears throat> so Beckford then went to live with his uncle called Colonel Hamilton in Geneva, and he took lettuce with him so he could continue to teach him. He also studied arts and drawing under Sir William Chambers and a guy named um, Alexander Cousins. Um, but he's, I mean, I hate to keep butting in with random comments, but he's going to live with his uncle in Geneva and he's taking a reverend called Lettuce with him. He's 10 years old. I just think of that uncle being like the stereotypical Scooby-Doo-esque uncle who's trying to kill him so he can get his money. <laughs> Oh, like in a oh, series of unfortunate events. Yes. Just yes. trying to kill him. I'm thinking of that now. <laughs> but he's also brought a, a reverend along with him called Lettuce. Um, a few years passed and Beck forgot his education. And then in uh, 1780, at the age of 19, he decided to go on a grand tour of Europe with his tutor, Lettuce. Um, while they were in Venice together, William wrote one of his first books called Dreams, Waking Thoughts and Incidents. So he's now going to Venice with this priest that's known him since he was a child. Um, and he's writing surreal books about it. This is fine. This is normal. Um, I feel like these days there would definitely be an investigation into that. Like a, a reverend hanging out with a young boy since... For a very long time. It, it just seems very odd. We're going to Venice together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want to go to Venice with the Reverend Lattice? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You know what the most fucked up thing is, though? Nobody cared about this. Um, but later down the line, when something else happens, everybody cared when they really shouldn't have. Um... It's a great environment that William Beckford's growing up in. It's fine. This is all fine. So, um, this book, uh, Dreams, Waking Thoughts and Incidents, was styled um, as a diary and was meant to be a deep look into Beckford's inner thoughts while he was on his journey with Lattice. Quote, June 19th, 1780. Shall I tell you my dreams? A frequent mist hovers before my eyes and, through its medium, I see objects so faint and hazy that both their colours and forms are apt to delude me. It reads like a surreal dream journal one minute and a concise account of the places he's visited the next. <laughs> when the book... You sound like, you know, psychopaths, like, do drawings in prisons and <laughs> write accounts. Why does it sound exactly like that? <laughs> you have no idea how close you are to where this is heading oh no <laughs> um so 
When the book was released in 1783, Beckford's family suppressed the publication of the book for its uninhibited text, which focused heavily on Beckford's personal feelings, and they tried to have all copies of it destroyed, burning almost 500 copies of the original print. Life is weirdly giving him all the favours in the world and also giving him no favours whatsoever. Well, because he's a man, he can't have those feelings of, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's the time he lived in, and that's the consistent thing of this entire story, is the time that he lived in was so fucked up, it drove him completely insane. Um, so... In 1781, Beckford turned 21, and to celebrate his birthday, he held a wildly lavish party where, quote, marriage didn't matter, thrown at Font Hill in the mansion built by his father. Um, so... So, was it an or orgy? Did he have an orgy? I think he had an orgy, yeah. <laughs> Where's the reverend at this point? What? <laughs> Is he just... The reverend, was he just there? Was he... <laughs> I like to imagine that he was still there. I don't. I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> oh my god. Um, can you imagine if there wasn't anything creepy going on with the Reverend, but he was there anyway, and he's just there, like the that most imagine. awkward person in the world? That makes it worse if you don't join in. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um, he then tried his hand at writing music for the first time, which he gained moderate success from his piece called Phantom. I don't know how you say that. It's weird. Um, and for the rest of his life, he would write music as a side career. Um, the sugar plantation business by this time was booming. And now Beckford had amassed so much money, he was the richest man in England and a very eligible bachelor. <laughs> um... <laughs> oh or, my gosh, women were so desperate. They would have got with anything. <laughs> oh god. On the 5th of May 1783, Beckford married Lady Margaret Gordon, um, the daughter of the fourth Earl of Albany in Scotland. Um and that just makes me think that the fourth Earl of Albany was um the Commissioner Gordon from Batman, but that's because I'm very childish. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I get that. I, I completely. <laughs> oh god, he sends out the bat signal for Scottish Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. I I offended the Scottish in, in the last Wrong one. I did. Time. I can't do it again in this one. I'm sorry. Oh yes, you can. You can. <laughs> we both know you can. Oh god. Um. So, the marriage got off to a good start, and soon Margaret was pregnant. The couple were gone to have two children together, Margaret Maria Elizabeth Beckford and Susan Beckford. Um, and they didn't play favourites at all. Um, <laughs> he, um, <laughs> um, he 
had also wrote another book back in the 1780s called Memoirs of Extraordinary Painters, which was much better received than its other book. Quote, Beckford's knowledge of art and art theory, combined with his talents as a satirical novelist, produced a work which was not only th funny, but theoretically insightful. So he's sort of like a Ricky Gervais of the 1700s. Wait, <laughs> do you reckon you can find the original book that he did? Because as fucked up as it sounds i want to read it i really I do want to read actually it. find a um whole section of it i think you can get because it was published um there is still versions of it that exist that's where i got the quote from i quoted the first chapter and i'll find the link i found and leave it in the description um so you can go have a look at that <laughs> um, oh gosh. um so uh Anyway, where where was I? So, he was the Ricky Gervais of the 1700s, but he was also more insane. And the road this is going down, he's more like the Michael Jackson of the 1700s. You can't say that. <laughs> oh, God. So... Um, speaking of which, just as Beckford's life was seemingly settling down, scandal struck the family. <clears throat> William Courtney was born in 1768. He was the heir to the Earldom of Devon, so he's also from high society. Growing up, he was somewhat creepily described by contemporaries as the most beautiful boy in England. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> he first met Beckford when he was 10 and Beckford was 18. Oh, it is like Michael Jackson. <laughs> Oh, God, he is a bit pedo-y. Um, he's very pedo-y. So was the, little, was the little boy rich as well? Yes. But, I, um, but here's, here's where it goes, because the thing is we move on from that very quickly because he no, he wasn't... It's really... This is the thing I was on about. It's The time he lived in was horrible, and it just... It probably made whatever was going on in his head and whatever mental illnesses he did have far far worse because i want to state for the record of this whole podcast and everything that i am bisexual and i think that the more i looked into it this the more i found that the time he lived in in drove him to probably do more insane things than he would have done anyway but it's true that he is also just a bit pedoey, which you know I mean, a bit more than a tiny bit. Yeah. Like, just... Not, not everybody goes around talking to 10-year-old boys, do they? Yeah. Um, but in 1784, just after Courtney turned 18, so he's now 18 now, so it's, it's creepy that from where it started, but technically speaking, by today's standards, now that he's 18, it would be considered consensual what they were doing. Um, he was he's staying... still talking to him since he was 10 <laughs> yeah that's not okay and very creepy but um, yeah oh god <laughs> there's, there's no explaining it it's a, it's a creepy old man talking to a young boy who's yeah been... it is yeah. it really is I mean I'm trying to give a tiny bit of benefit of the doubt because again the times he lived in were horrible but yeah, he's creepy. You, you, I, I, I don't know. I don't feel bad for him. I think he was 
just don't do yeah that. that's the angle i'm taking because if this was just a story about a guy who was you know gay in the 1700s like he was fine he just you know oh, slept with yeah. people his own age then this wouldn't be a fucked up story it'd be fine it's the fact that he's also insane that makes this really weird do, do you know like what he had or does it not say anywhere no there's nothing about anything because i mean in the time they would have just categorized him as being mentally ill because he was you know gay anyway not because he was also a pedophile but well no it would have been insanity it, yeah just yeah it's so there's no record on what was going on with him but um anyway uh <laughs> oh, right so getting past the controversial bit um he was staying at Beckford's mansion along with several other guests. According to one guest, he overheard the two having an argument over a letter Courtney had sent to another lover. Um, and they were in Courtney's guest room having the argument and then, quote, Beckford horsewhipped him, which created a noise. The door being opened, Courtney was discovered in his shirt and Beckford in some posture or other. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, so he was annoyed at him for sending letters to other people, but he was married? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's, again, another bad thing about Beckford, is he was being very possessive. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, not long after, Courtney's uncle, Lord Lowborough, discovered the letters which they'd been sending to each other and tried to get Beckford executed under the Buggery Act of 1533, which outlawed homosexuality in England at the time. I mean, I'm not saying he should have been killed for being gay, but... The pedo Yeah, bit. The Yeah, should have. Maybe yeah, not killed, but imprisoned. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's yeah. what this, that's why this story is so hard to tell in some ways. Um, you got to be careful you don't offend anyone. Yeah, because again, to reiterate, I'm bisexual. I think too, that the times I, he lived I, I in... What, sorry? I, I am as well, so I don't want to come off of homophobic or anything. Yeah. No, that's the thing about this story. The time he lived in was horrible. The fact there was a thing called the fucking Buggery Act of 1733 the Morning Herald, the 8th of December, 1784, <laughs> quotes, If anything could heighten the detestable scene lately acted at Wiltshire by a pair of fashionable male lovers, the ocular demonstration of their infamy to the young, beautiful wife of one of the monsters most certainly must have affected it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was in the news. They got, oh, they got named and shamed in the news. <laughs> King George III <laughs> reportedly heard about the scandal and personally, personally wished Beckford to be hanged. Oh my gosh. 
King's now involved. It's oh, it's a mess. Yeah, luckily for Batchford though, um, his money saved him from being executed or sent to trial or anything. Um, but he was a social outcast in England, and most people expected him to flee to Italy, which is what most people in his situation did at the time, because apparently there was a precedent for that. Um, the Public intelligence, Intelligencer, December 10th, 1784, quote, This late event which makes the air of Italy necessary for him. <laughs> so they're just like, they all expect that he's going to go to Italy. For nearly a year, Beckford braved out the storm of abuse and secluded himself at Fonthill Manor. Then, finally, he went abroad with his pregnant wife and um, his only child at the time. So his wife is pregnant with Susan. They've had the other one, and she's pregnant with Susan, and they're leaving um, England. Uh, Lady Margaret's family gave her the opportunity to leave Beckford in the wake of the scandal, but she refused to leave her husband's side. Um, so they're still in love as well, anyway. Um, which uh, each their own, I suppose. If she's still, about it, she probably would have been shamed anyway, for leaving him. Yeah, it's not. It's not a good situation for her yeah. either way. Um, they fled to Switzerland, um, not to Italy, like everyone thought they would. And uh, yeah, Beckford's wife, Margaret, died giving birth to Susan at age 24. Um, after Margaret's death, Beckford and his two children moved to Lisbon in Portugal. Um, <laughs> so he's like, the wife's dead, time to go to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, while in Lisbon, he met George, Giorgio Philippe Franchi, a young musician who was interested in art and together they spent their days buying up all the lo the art at local art auctions and soon Beckford became a compulsive art collector spending all he could collecting works of art. He also wrote letters to Franchi constantly at least once a week according to one source. Beckford called him the Portuguese Orange. <laughs> My gosh. No. There's more letters, I think. This just can't turn out good. And he's calling you the Portuguese orange. This man is, like, flip-flopping all over what we would today consider, you know... <laughs> yeah, I, just, I don't really want to comment on that in, again in case of saying something... Yeah, yeah. I think... Let's just go with... It's okay to criticise him about what he chose to do in his life because yes he's lived in a horrible time and they shouldn't have persecuted him just for being gay but they also should have persecuted him for sending sexual letters to a 10 year old and he's also mildly racist and let's not forget in fact on that note that he owns 3,000 slaves um he's very racist he is very very racist yeah so the point to take on it is that you can make fun of him because in some ways he definitely does deserve it. <laughs> in other ways, it's not fair how society treated him, but in some ways he definitely deserved it. You know? Yeah. So, um, it's an interesting story in that sense. It's not, you know, black and white, left or right. He's flip-flopping all over the place. Um, but it's still 
let's not forget how fucked up the society he lived in, though, is. That's pretty clearly fucked up because nobody cared that he owned 3,000 people. He was legally allowed to own 3,000 people, but he wasn't legally allowed to be gay. Um, 1700s I mean, were yeah. a lovely time to live in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. It's so, so wrong, just yeah. in every way. Yeah. Please don't tell me this gets worse. What, sorry? Please don't tell me this gets worse. It does get worse. Um, oh my God. <laughs> during his time oh in Portugal God. in 1786, he wrote another book, his most famous book, um, The Kef. I was going to look up how you actually say it. I'm just going to go with The Kef because um, I forgot to look up how you actually say it. <laughs> so we'll just go with The Kef. Um, the Keth, or in its full title, The History of Caliph the Keth, is a gothic fictional story about an evil and depraved Arabic caliph called the Keth. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no. This... Oh, why isn't he dead yet? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's like, I don't. That seems kind of mean to say. I don't no, know. But his wife's done nothing, and she's the one that died. Okay, and he's the one taking that, that angle. <laughs> like am, karma, like karma is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, the Keth is said to constantly engage in quote sensual pleasures, particularly with young boys. Um. No. Beckford stated that he wrote the Keth as an emotional response to his life and that he is the Keth. Um, in the story, the Keth sacrifices 50 children, then builds the world's tallest tower. Um, <laughs> and uh, where was I? Then he builds the world's tallest tower and also in the story are other characters from Beckford's life. The character Prince um, Gold's... Golchenzerosa, I'm sorry, um, is modelled upon Courtney, um, the most delicate and lovely creature in the world, quote, who occasionally puts on the dresses of Princess Noronha, um, modelled upon Courtney's aunt, Lady Labra, um, which suggests he was also putting on the dresses of his aunt, which, you know, all right, I guess, each their own, but that's what he does in the story. Um, Princess Cartheris, based upon Beckford's mother, is a witch who um, is always mixing pow the powder of Egyptian mo mummy, that can't talk, Egyptian mummies, with um, frogs wart and warts, and running them up and down the palace, casting evil spells. I said that in a really convoluted way because I couldn't even read, like, say what I was reading then. But basically, he's also modelled a princess off of his mum, um, who is a witch, and she's constantly casting evil spells. Um, which, according to Beckford, is much as she did in real life. His mum's a witch? What he's saying is that when he was growing up, his mum probably, if he's correct, there's no way of knowing if he is or not. According to him, his mum would buy Egyptian mummies that people found and ground them into powder and try to make evil spells out of them. I, I mean, 
Oh my gosh. Maybe he was the evil spell. Maybe he just was the product of one of these spells. <laughs> oh god. Um it's the you know, I think he developed his whatever was going on in his head through the se sequence of events that happened in his childhood. We'll get back to that. Anyway, um yeah, it's like linked to everything. Yeah. Um so Vikef becomes insanely jealous and burden and murders both the person who's supposed to be Courtney's aunt and Courtney. Um, but Courtney ascends straight to heaven and lives um, in perpetual childhood surrounded by a haram of uh, boys, which is great. Um, I also left out a bit here about um, other things that happened in the story that I'm still going to leave out because it's too horrible yeah. to even say. Um, Beckford wrote the whole book in three days, writing non-stop without even sleeping, and wrote it entirely in French. Where were his daughters? <laughs> he, he, he's living in Portugal, where they speak Portuguese. He's English, so his native language is English, but he wrote this book in three days in French. Oh, oh my gosh, God. I'm... Okay, can you just pause a second? Yeah, I just realised right. something. That's alright. I have a math tutor. Hmm? I have a math tutor. Oh. Okay. I Shit, I'm so sorry. That's alright. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. I'm terrible, I completely forgot. It's okay, we can just cut through it and get back to the story when you come back. I'm so sorry. It's okay, okay, I'm gonna have to go. I'll get a follow up if I miss this one. Yeah, that's alright. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, okay, so... People won't know because I'm just going to cut it together, but we just had a big break there. <laughs> um, so, um, but we're back now. So, uh, he wrote the book entirely in French and he got his friend Samuel Henley to translate the work into English and it was published under a pseudonym of John Johnson because he was still uh, like a social outcast in England. Um... The book became a huge success in the rising gothic literary genre and um, despite producing it under a pseudonym, everyone knew who had actually published it. Um, this newfound fame started to get to Beckford's head and he began to tell lies about his upbringing to sound cooler, including, because he was still writing music um, on the side, about how he was taught to compose by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. So he's now lying to people and telling them he was taught music by Mozart. <laughs> oh my gosh. So he's, he's lying to make his life seem more interesting, even though... I'm not saying it was interesting. He probably is one of the most odd people. Yeah. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the... Uh, interestingly, though... Uh, bibliographer C.B. Oldman states, um, all uh, biographers of William Beckford, the author of Vaketh and the creator of Fonthill, agree in recounting on Beckford's own authority that during Mozart's visit to England in 1764-65, Beckford was given lessons in composure by the young Wolfgang Mozart. Though some show a faint um, degree of scepticism, which is not surprising since at the time Mozart was only eight or nine years old and Beckford was only four or five. Oh, 
Um, and it goes on to say they all allow to pass unchallenged Beckford's even shakier claim to have renewed acquaintance with Mozart in later years. It's strange how none of them appear to be worried by the fact that Mozart's biographers are completely silent on the whole business. Um, so basically what he's saying in his big rant there is that everyone who does an account on William Beckford, like we're doing now, always just says when they're on the bit about his childhood that he was taught by Mozart. Nobody goes, that's a bit weird. They all just accept it. And um, the fact of the matter is he wasn't because it's silly. He would Mozart would have been nine and he would have been five. Um, but... When I was looking it up, every source I found until I got to this one said the same thing, that he was taught by Mozart. And because I didn't see any different, I put it in at the beginning. But then I stumbled across um, C.B. Oldman and what he wrote. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so Somehow it's lying in the 21st century. Just, you know, that's that's normal. Yeah. It's like, oh God, it's so insane. That's the thing about researching history, though, is you have to be really careful where you get your sources from because some things are so, um, like, stupid and not, they don't have any historical base whatsoever. Like, there's this one book about how the Chinese discovered America before the Portuguese did and Columbus did, um, and... It's really stupid and it makes no sense and it's one of the most... Oh, what has happened then? Sorry about that. I think it was my fault, maybe? It's fine. Um, Yeah, it's really stupid and it's just like this whole... It doesn't make any sense and everyone who knows anything about history is like, the Chinese did amazing things in the time frame they're talking about for civilization. They did loads of incredible things, but they did not go to America. There's no evidence for that. But this guy was adamant that they did and he wrote a book about it and it got really popular for a while. And it's like, just really weird. But, um... So yeah, that sort of thing happens all the time, but it's a really weird little fact about um, his life that everyone thinks Mozart did that. Um, so then, in 1789, Beckford decided to head back to his estate in England. When he left, he took Franchi with him. Despite it being nearly 10 years later, he was still considered a social outcast in England and would not be able to go out in public if he returned. So rather than stay in sunswept Portugal, he decided to come back and make Franchi his agent to do business deals. But I'm doing that, I'm saying business deals in, quote, in quotation marks um, because... All that really meant was going to London um, and uh, Franchi living in the Soho house and using Beckford's money to buy extravagant art and porn and sending it back to Beckford in Wiltshire. <laughs> Seriously, though, where are the kids? <laughs> <laughs> well, presumably they're still living with him. Oh, God. Um... 
so because Beckford wouldn't be able to leave his house very often because he was a social outcast, um, he decided it was in need of drastic renovations. I suppose another sort of controversial way to look at this is like, it's like if Jeffrey Epstein didn't die, but then he got out of prison, but everyone knew what had happened and they really, you know, they hated him as much as people do, but he still tried to live in like America and that literally did happen. We got away with it for so long. And... <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, it's like after it became public and everything, and you know, it was common knowledge to everyone. If he hadn't have died in prison, he was still alive and out there. It would have been it like if that happened, because like I was saying before, people were so angry at him. Not even just the fact that you know he started everything with Courtney when Courtney was a child but because in the times they lived in it was not at all okay to be gay so he was seriously a social outcast so he decided because he wouldn't be able to leave his house very often he decided it was in need of drastic renovations in a true essence of fantasy becoming reality, just like his character in Vaketh, with the help of a leading architect of the day, James Wyatt, Beckford built a tower on the north side of his land that was nearly 300 feet high. Oh no, why would you agree to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like his character in the book though, because that's what he did, what Vaketh did in the book. He thought of this he's, years he's, before. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what? Oh my god. The tower had four of its own bedrooms, um, and uh, the bedrooms were sitting 120 feet above the ground, and its own oratory, and several art galleries, and a kitchen. Um... Not being content with this, he built a new manor to go around it, and he wanted this building to fit with the design of the Gothic Tower. So when it was completed, he was living in what was basically a giant Gothic cathedral. Beckford recognised this and named his new home Fontill Abbey. He's built a massive cathedral to live in. <laughs> oh, God. I love... I don't know, I don't really love any of this, but the fact he built up a cathedral for himself, that's pretty, pretty <laughs> Yeah, it's really weird, but in such an awesome way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, he built uh, Font Hill Abbey on high ground a mile southwest of Font Hill House in deep woodland away from public roads. Um, he demolished large parts of Font Hill House so he could provide building materials for the new abbey. So the house was just an abandoned wreck. Um, it sat at uh, 524 acres with a 12 foot high wall, um, 8 miles long, uh, topped with iron spikes surrounding it. So to keep people out, he's not only built a giant abbey with a massive tower to live in, but he's built an uh, eight-mile-long, 12-foot-high, iron-spiked wall around it. Just, do this, is the building still a thing? Um, we'll get to that further down in the story. I'm not going to spoil anything yet. Um... <laughs> He often took on the roles of construction and site supervisor and general organiser during um, uh, James Wyatt, the architect's prolongs ab prolonged absences. I don't know at all why he didn't want to work on that project. 
Um, so Beckford took it upon himself to direct the construction of the abbey, as well as leading the landscaping efforts on his estate. Um, even though he wasn't qualified to do any of that, he just wrote music and surreal gothic stories. Um, <laughs> during the construction, he was so impatient that he couldn't wait for proper foundations to be dug on the abbey. So it was built on foundations suitable for a much smaller building, which means it wasn't very stable. 500 men were involved and he piled them um, with great quantities of beer in the hope that they would work faster. So the Abbey's being built by 500 drunk people. Sounds like his dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, his dream's much worse than that. Um, <laughs> um, after six years of construction, um, it was complete. Uh, but a couple of weeks later, there was a windy day and the tower collapsed. It took a, a further seven years to fix the tower. It took a year longer to fix the tower than to build the estate. Because of a windy day. <laughs> oh, God. Um... During the completion and furnishing of the Abbey, Beckford was simultaneously engaged with Franchi in the pursuit of youths. For example, throughout September and October 1807, so I don't know how old he is now, I think it goes, I think I mention it later, but it's 1807 now, so he's like in his 30s or 40s, probably 40s. Um, and he, Beckford wrote instructions to Franchi to do some pimping for him. Uh, quote, if it is at all possible, go see an angel named Saunders who is a tightrope walker at the Circus Royal um, and, certain the cap and certain the captivator of every bugger's soul. Ah, um, so that letter's not creepy at all. <laughs> I'll read that again. If... What, sorry? What else do you expect from him? Like a nice letter that's completely normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, yeah, he said, If it is at all possible, go see an angel named Saunders who is a tightrope walker at the Circus Royal and the certain captivator of every bugger's soul. Ah, is what he wrote. <laughs> um... <laughs> But even though the troop moved on, Beckford wrote to Franchi constantly asking about the troop, and then he got so desperate he even left his house and followed the troop on tour around England. He was a groupie. Um, he would deliberately buy hotel rooms wherever Saunders was staying. <laughs> he was obsessed with this guy named Saunders. Um, I'm a stalker. Yeah. Four years later, <laughs> in 1811, Beckford was still following <laughs> Saunders was born in 1789, the year Beckford came back to England to start construction on the tower. Um, so he was 18 in 1811. Um, so, you know, but still, he'd been doing it for years. So he wasn't 18 when this started. Um, and uh, Beckford did manage to convince him to go live with him at the Abbey and they began a relationship. <laughs> Oh my god, I thought he would have ditched him once he turned 18 and moved on to another one, but, you know. <laughs> I don't think, I think it's just he doesn't care. It's not like he's, 
that's all he wants. He just doesn't care about age. I mean, it's got to be a little bit what you want to yeah, go for it. I suppose. You know? I suppose that's true. <laughs> oh, God. Um, one thing Saunders um, might not have been uh, expecting was Beckford saw their relationship as open. And in fact, um, along with obsessively hoarding art in, in his cathedral, he also obsessively hoarded young men um, to be his staff. <laughs> He would achieve this by only hiring young male servants who were all given revealing gay nicknames. <laughs> Quotes. <laughs> there is Pale Ambrose, Infamous Potpourri, Horrid Ghoul, Insipid Mimi Bon, uh, Candaverous Nicoboose, um, The Portentious Dwarf, Frigid Silence, Miss Long, Miss Butterfly, Countess Pox, Mr. Prudent Well Sealed Up, The Monkey and The Turk, among others. Oh no, I mean you shouldn't laugh because they're kind of very racist, some of them, but like, why? How many did he have in the end? What? How many did he have? <laughs> What is happening anymore? <laughs> I really don't know. Oh, God. Um, but Beckford wasn't happy with all of his staff. When asked about one of the stable boys, he said, it's not worth talking about Boojoo. He's um, not the right kind and never will be. Um, we'll need other angels if we're to go to another paradise. This was because the, um, the stable boy didn't want to have sex with him. <laughs> Beckford had I mean, why not? <laughs> Beckford had the same problem with his valet, Richardson. According to Beckford, um, he seems to grant all favours except one. The devil take you, you blonde beast. <laughs> oh, God, that is valet. I can, I can imagine that because it's not, it's like, Richardson's probably in like his mid twenties or something, and he's just a some valet, and then Backford's there like, come on, come on, he's like, no. I really want to see him trying to get one of these men to have sex with him. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a hilarious thing to watch. Just the process of that. <laughs> Oh, God. Richardson was insepid Mimi Bon. Needless to say, he was not a fan of this nickname. <laughs> oh, God. Um, when asked about all this, Beckford famously summed it up by saying, it's cruel to hear talk of fair boys and dark jade vases and not buy them. <laughs> oh, God. Um... He also started calling himself Barzaba, which means boy fancier in Syriac, and he would often visit London for its underground gay scene. <laughs> um, Bedford also, of course, had his favourites, and his absolute favourite was a Spanish dwarf he'd imported to be his doorkeeper. <laughs> no sources have the name of the dwarf as far as I could find, unfortunately. Um... But Beckford loved him. He often shared with him the porn that Franchi brought from back from London, and he would dine with him every day, just him. 
Every day at his dining table, the table was laid for 12 and the cooks ordered to prepare food for 12. Um, but uh, all the food would just be for him and the dwarf. Beckford um, had vowed he would eat his Christmas dinner with the dwarf in the Abbey's new kitchen. Um, he did. But as soon as he'd finished the meal, the kitchen collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I was worried about this story and bringing it out. <laughs> I would be worried. I would be really worried. Oh my gosh. None of this has been okay. No, it's not. But maybe. But that's... with your previous, previous ones, you can feel a bit bad for them in some situations, but this has just. just it's terrible. Yeah, when I said I was throwing you into the deep end, you had no idea how much I meant um, that until right now. So did this on purpose, just to... <laughs> oh my god. Um, the Abbey was fraught with structural problems, bits of it falling apart every other day. Also, I want to mention, when I first heard about this story, I looked up um rich british eccentrics to find this story i was like there's probably some interesting things with that and the thing i heard was that there was a man who built a 300 foot tower and dined for 12 people with just a spanish dwarf that was his doorman in the tower and the kitchen collapsed that's all i heard the rest of this i found from later researching it and as i researched it i was like what the fuck is happening <laughs> you find that first of all things like throughout this whole story that hasn't even been the worst thing and yet that's what you've done yeah um so uh the bits of it were falling apart every day then in 1823 beckford realized he was broke he'd spent all of his father's money without really earning any at least not enough to cover the cost of buying tons of artwork and books building constantly and repairing the abbey and having an army of um young male servants and the plantation hadn't been doing so well in the years since beckford took over because he hadn't really cared about it um the only way i mean <laughs> That's it really thing, says you know. something about this man where the only good thing you can really find about him is that um he didn't really <laughs> care about his 300 slaves in a bad sense. <laughs> yeah, but he also, he also had personal sorry. slaves technically. What? He had his um he had his personal slaves all the men that he wanted. <laughs> oh god. Oh my god. Can you imagine? No, I don't even want to say it. It's too much. No, don't say that. I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Right. Um. So, uh, he... Uh, the only way to stop himself from becoming essentially homeless in the falling apart church was to sell the abbey. So Fonthill, along with part of Beckford's art collection, was sold for um, uh, £330,000 to a man named John Farquhar, um, a gunpowder contractor from Bengal. Um, Farquhar then held an auction for all of the art and furniture of the abbey. Beckford had amassed so much art and prized works, the auction went on for a month and attracted hundreds of people. <laughs> um, 
Beckford had owned the complete library of Edward Gibbon, consisting of some 6,000 6, to 7,000 books, which he gave to his physician, Frederick Scholl, um, and his art collection was rich in Italian quattrocino paintings, um, Asian objects, um, and art including Mughal hardstone carvings, something I can't pronounce, metalworks, and statues and ceramics. Also, um, 18th century French furniture and decorative arts. He was one of the several uh, one of the several English collectors to benefit hugely from the sale of property belonging to the French aristocracy in the aftermath of the French Revolution. So he had a load of things. He was a hoarder of this sort of thing. So can you imagine that abbey? <laughs> it's like. It's a, a massive, a massive church, a huge abbey with an eight foot, no, an eight mile long, 12 foot high wall around it, full to the brim, like so you couldn't move properly of expensive, rich artwork. And all of the servants working there were like young, fit, possibly gay men. <laughs> Sounds like great fun. <laughs> um,. So, objects from Beckford's collection can today be found across the world, including items in the National Gallery in London, the Victoria and Albert Museum, the Wallace Collection, the National Museum of Ireland, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Frick Collection, the Getty Museum, the Huntington Library and, uh, and Art Gallery, and many more. So, his artwork spread over so many places because he had so much of it. Within two years of this sale, in 1825, the tower, which had showed signs of being structurally unsound since 1821, collapsed. Farquhar tried to sell it um, uh, and all his land, but died just a year later in 1826. Today, much of the building is in ruin, and you can't go visit it because it's in so much ruin, it hasn't even been taken up by like the National Trust or anything. It's still privately owned, but nobody uses it or lives there. Um, Beckford, after the sale, moved to a townhouse in Bath. Um, he uh, bought number 20 Lansdowne Crescent and number 1 Lansdowne Place West. He merged the buildings into, um, one with a, uh, into one with an archway across the driveway. So there's a driveway between the two houses and he's built a walkway arch over the top of them so they could be one house. Um, in... 1836 he purchased numbers 18 and 19 Lansdowne Crescent and number 18 was left empty to secure Beckford's privacy and tranquility. He then proceeded to buy up the rest of the land around the area. He now owned um, all this and he commissioned a man named Henry Goodridge to build a 150 foot tower on the property. He's not done! Oh. Why would you not learn from your mistakes? He's not done. He's he's spent years slowly and carefully building, like buying up townhouses in Bath, and now he's using the land to build another tower. This tower had two main rooms at the base, the scarlet and crimson drawing rooms, and it had rich carpets, luxurious curtains, um, and coffered ceilings panelled in oak and enriched with scarlet, uh, crimson, purple and gold. The spiral staircase with its 154 steps leading to the Belvedere was carpeted and at the centre of the stairwell stood a colossal vase polished in granite. It was crowned uh, with an octagonal lantern decorated with glit gold 
gold columns like a golden lighthouse. He built a golden lighthouse in Bath. I love him for that. I'm, I'm sorry, but you have to love him for that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, he also did not give up his pursuit of men um, as he got into his old age. He was quoted as saying, I'd like to run away, heaven knows where, with some great jock. And he had a thing for a while with a soldier from Bath. Um, William Beckford died on the 2nd of May, 1844, at the old age of 83. He lived to 83. Um... How? <laughs> How? I don't understand it. He was so horrible and had to have, like, you know, done lots of things to... I don't... I have no idea. <laughs> oh, he should have died sooner. <laughs> <laughs> That's... I don't know. Oh, God. Um, so, but then we wouldn't have this funny story, though. Um, so, the tower and the gardens were sold to a Bath pub chain. Beckford's daughter Susan, now the Duchess of Hamilton, was horrified to discover that her father's retreat was being used as a beer garden and promptly bought it back. Um, passing it to the rector of the parish of Walcott in Bath. The tower became a funerary chapel and the tower garden became a cemetery. Since 1993, the tower has been owned by the Bath Preservation Trust. So that tower still exists and you probably can visit it. Um, William Courtney, tragic story of William Courtney, um, seems to have been more actively and exclusively homosexual than Beckford. He never married and he was not cautious. And he was also not actually, you know, a pedo or anything. He was just, you know, led in as a child. But he was actually just gay anyway. And that was just his life. And it wasn't, you know, he never did, as far as I could tell from what I found, never did anything with any kids like Beckford did. He was just a guy who was homosexual. Um... By 1811, an Essex magistrate had gathered enough evidence to convict Courtney of, quote, unnatural crimes. Um, on hearing that a warrant had been issued for his arrest, he fled to France, where he lived in obscurity for the next 24 years. Um, and, yeah, that's the story. Oh, well, that's, that's a nice ending. <laughs> well, it's an okay the... ending. It's a shame he was driven out of his home. But, the nice guy, the nice one ended up in France, you know? Yeah. You can hope it was all okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, this is a very strange story. Um, <laughs> my final notes on it are, it's an interesting one because it's very all over the place in terms of how you should feel about it. Because... In my opinion, I think the fact that his mother was insane and thought she was a witch, his father died when he was 10 and he was given £125 million and 3,000 people who, and that was all considered fine and normal for the time, but then the, he went on that trip with his, like, reverend, which probably was fucked up if you think about it. It's like... I, and then he wrote a book which he really loved and his family burnt 500 copies of it. I think the reason he lost his mind and became a bit, you know, creepy and weird is because the times he lived in were absolutely horrible. And that's the moral of this story. <laughs> 
So you're blaming childhood trauma? Yes, I'm blaming childhood the, trauma. The excuse for every psychopath that has ever been. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, okay. Thank you for listening, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for finding this. I'm sorry for all of this. You know, I do have a rule that if it gets too creepy and weird, I won't make a story about it. You know, like I wouldn't do I wouldn't do one about Michael Jackson, for instance. But I think he's he's just he's on he's towing the line, he's on the edge of it. If he got any more creepy, I wouldn't do this story. Like there was the bit I left out about his book, The Keth. If I mentioned that, I probably wouldn't do this story. <laughs> oh, well, that just made it so much better. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, definitely. I'm sorry. And send me stories, but don't send me stories that are weirder than this. This is the bar. my <laughs> <laughs> bar. That is it's a bit too high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>